Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is Brad Crone. As we have said uh, in introducing the other segments, he is president of Campaign Connections, which is a strategy, uh, a local strategy firm that uh, provides specialized uh, um, advice and counseling to in public affairs, public relations, and grassroots campaigns for trade associations, advocacy groups, and corporations, as well as politicians. A former newspaper publisher of the Thomasville Times. And of course, as we've said, also back when he had really good sense, he was uh, uh, afternoon news editor for WPTF radio. Uh, that was back when you were just a puppy. Best job ever. Well, uh, we like to think it was. Now we didn't pay you much, and, and no. if you came, and if you came back, we wouldn't pay you much again. But uh, that's aside from the point. I loved it. It was an absolute great time. Oh me. Well, uh, there are the as we said, the General Assembly is getting back to work, and there are a number of hot topics that we want to sort of look at. Of course, uh, uh, one of which is the uh, matter uh, the matter of Medicaid expansion, which has been in the news now for a number of years and seems to be now um, uh, on its track to perhaps approval because um, the positions of the leadership in both parties seems to have changed over the last several years. Where does that stand and what's your forecast is what will happen with that? Well, I think that they will get something done. I hope that they're able to get all the parties to the pavement, to, to the table. Uh, the Republican leadership in the House and the Senate are clearly indicating that they are willing to move forward with this. They think that it's important. There's too much federal money on the table for the state not to access it. We have some crises when it comes to the working poor and their access to health care. We also have a crisis with our rural health care delivery system and the stability, excuse me, the stability of our hospitals in eastern and western North Carolina uh, because of the the, the critical uh, costs that they face and, and the lack of adequate funding so Medicaid expansion, I think, would definitely help the provider community for sure. One of the stumbling blocks, Don, that I hear is the uh, 10% that the federal government will pay 90% of the freight, and then the state's got to kick in 10%. And as a part of the Medicaid expansion, that 10% was going to be paid for with basically a provider tax where the hospitals would kick in that additional 10%. And the hospitals are saying they are not strong enough financially right now to be able to cover that spread. So there's got to be some movement, I think, and I take them at the word that there has to be some movement on who's going to cover what part of that 10% that's out there that the state will be responsible for. And if they can get that figured out, I think you're going to have a deal. And it would not shock me one bit that we have a deal sooner rather than later. So hopefully they could get something hammered out as they get ready to go into the budget. The word when the legislature came back into session on Wednesday, uh, both sides are saying they want to have a budget agreement done and have the budget signed and ready to go into place July the 1st. So 
I think you're going to see movement on Medicaid expansion relatively quick. Another big issue that, uh, that was not attended to last time, actually was attended to, but it uh, did not pass, and that is uh, uh, gaming or sports book betting, video gaming and so forth. Uh, that's going to obviously surface again, and, and it was so close to being passed last time. What's your forecast this time? Right. You, they were only like one or two votes away from getting it passed, and uh, one member was absent, I think. There was some confusion on the floor when the vote came up. Um, I think the sports gaming uh, folks have been working quietly behind the scenes. They have a number of uh, very influential uh, and, and constructive legislative lobbyists working on the issue. And I think you'll see something get through. Uh, this session, uh, in particular when it comes to sports betting, and will allow for sports books to be operated at the athletic facilities, for example, at the Panthers Bank of America Stadium, and then at the PNC Arena for the Carolina Hurricanes. And I think both of those sports franchises will benefit from it. The taxpayers of North Carolina will benefit from it, too. And then are also legitimize the DraftKings and the all the different online sports books that are there right now as well. Um, you have two sports book facilities in the state with the Catawba Reservation and then with the Cherokee Nation, Eastern Band of the Cherokees. And um, so it won't be anything new to the state. State hopefully will be able to make a stream of revenue off of it that's newfound revenue uh, as well. So I think you get that done. A uh, big question is going to be, will the will the North Carolina lottery be given the opportunity to get into the video gaming business? From uh, 2008, I believe it was, the state legislature passed uh, legislation that prohibited the mom and pops and the video sweepstakes centers, uh, basically allowing the district attorneys in each one of the judicial districts to decide whether or not they wanted to prosecute. So, you know, in some regions of the state, for example, you've got some sweepstake parlors in Roanoke Rapids. You have some sweepstake parlors in uh, Wake County, for example. In other areas where the sheriffs and the district attorneys are opposed to them, you don't have them. So maybe the legislature looks at a situation like the state lottery would come in and operate your video gaming so that if you went into a, a tavern or, or into a restaurant and you wanted to play $20 on the video uh, machine, video poker or uh, sweepstakes, wheel of fortune, you know, just like a slot machine in Vegas, you could go in and do so. If they, the word I heard is that the the legislature has looked at the Louisiana model, where all the machines are regulated by the lottery by the state, and then they monitor who's playing, how much is being played, and every night at two o'clock in the morning they're able to sweep the account. So the state gets a rev, regular revenue grab every single day. Uh, and so that may be a model that they look at. I don't know if that that the the video gaming uh, and sweepstakes gets very far this session, 
But I will say this, when you look at the uh, economic forecast that was put forward by Dan Gerlach, former budget director for the Economic Development Association, the state's going to have some revenue challenges as we head into 2025, 26, 27. So I think the legislature is going to be willing to look at additional revenue sources and video gaming uh, regulated by the lottery could generate multiple millions of dollars. North Carolina, of course, is growing uh, rapidly, especially the area between Raleigh, uh, the Crescent that runs from Raleigh all the way through Greensboro down to Charlotte, and, of course, Asheville area, Wilmington area, Greenville area. So transportation needs are going to be there because we're going to have more cars on the road than ever before as we continue to grow. Uh, so transportation funding is a question. And, of course, North Carolina has long depended on gasoline tax. Well, with electric cars, EV cars coming out, uh, the number of gallons of gasoline are going to go down. New ways of funding transportation are going to have to be on the agenda. And, of course, uh, a lot of major projects like I-95 and um, some others need revenue right now. So where, what's your forecast on what's going to happen in the transportation funding area? Well, the state just finished up a, a transportation summit uh, that was very successful, not only looking at critical infrastructure needs, but how transportation is going to be changing uh, over the next few decades. And we, the legislature is working diligently. Uh, Brendan Jones is co-chair of the transportation uh, committee in the state house. And I know that they are working on finding acceptable revenues. The conservatives, in particular, uh, John Hood, my good friend, has promoted a uh, tax on miles used. And that would be an interesting mechanism for taxation. That way you capture revenue from your uh, non-combustible engine. So if you've got an electric car, you're still going to be offering some revenue into the state for utilizing our state roads. So those have, have got to be options. In the past, too, Don, the state has borrowed money through general obligation bonds approved by the voters of North Carolina. The legislature uh, has not been very uh, proactive when it comes to borrowing money. And the fact of the matter is, I think we only have just a limited amount of debt, probably about a billion dollars of debt on the books right now from a bond we passed in 2016 for uh, our National Guard and for our colleges and community colleges across the state. So, um, you know, would a transportation bond be appropriate? I think that it would, but the legislature's indicated, in particular Senate President Pro Tem, Berger has indicated he likes pay as you go. And, uh, you know, that's a pretty good philosophy for me. Uh, and if the state can find the revenue, then I prefer that all day long rather than borrowing money. So those are going to be big questions. I think the legislature is going to have to look at. Uh, they are working. They have started the process of building out and improving I-95 it's going to be a huge project, multiple year. I think the price tag on it's as much as five or six billion dollars. The feds have indicated they are willing to kick in some money, so that's going to be good news. 
And I think you'll see improvements on on I-95 in a gradual process. Um, and, and, you know, of course, you couldn't start construction on the whole road anyway. It may take longer than we particularly want. The key thing about I-95 is it truly is the gateway to economic uh, foundation, economic success for Eastern North Carolina. The other road project is I-87, which would stretch from Raleigh all the way up to Norfolk. That's going to be critical for economic development for the state. In the western part of the state is I-77, stretching from Charlotte all the way up to the Commonwealth of Virginia. And then uh, what do we look at as we move forward, are we willing to to say the two economic hubs in the state are Mecklenburg and Wake County? And, and the economic report that Dan Gerlach prepared for the Economic Developers Association showed 50% of the state's tax revenue is coming from those two counties. So are we willing to invest in a high-speed rail along the 6449 corridor, the southern Piedmont, that stretches from Raleigh all the way down to Charlotte. Yes, it's going to cost a lot of money, but long-term, we've got to have high-speed, reliable, connective transportation between the state's two economic hubs. It's going to be absolutely critical. So transportation's just going to continue to be such a huge issue in a state where we're seeing 1.3% annual growth rates. Thank you for that update. It's a, a, a very good recap, certainly, for us to, uh, and gives us a lot to think about. Uh, we've got one final segment coming up. We want to use the R word, recession, and this I word, inflation. We also want to talk about redistricting. We'll do that when we come back with our final segment of Carolina Newsmakers for this week with our guest, Brad Cron, president of Campaign Connections. We'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. Hey, Dad. How do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry, I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. 
We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is Brad Crone. We've had a very interesting program. If you have missed the first segments and you would like to hear it, we talked about the, the situation involving State Auditor Beth Wood. We also talked about the up-and-coming election and the governor's race being off and running. Uh, we talked about potential candidates in that race. And so if you missed that, uh, those segments, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear those segments or the entire broadcast, for that matter, if you'd like. Brad Crone is our guest. He's the president of Campaign Connections. And as we promised right before the break, we wanted to do, introduce the R word and the I word and how that might affect North Carolina. The I word being inflation. Everything is costing more these days. So that means it's going to stretch the state budget. Uh, it also means that people are going to be making more money. So they will probably be paying more tax. And so that may offset. And we're going to talk about the R word, uh, the possibility of recession. And I'm hearing more and more that more people are saying probably not much of a recession if we have one at all in North Carolina. So let's start with that one, Brad. What are you hearing? Well, same thing. I watched from uh, the the Davos Economic Summit in Europe, uh, Jamie Dimon, who is uh, chairman of uh, Chase, uh, Morgan Chase Bank and and. He was basically saying the same thing, Don, that uh, we may see a minor dip, but it's it's going to be mild. It'll be short. Uh, and then we will proceed on his uh, Mr. Diamond's biggest concerns. And I agree with them. I've got to be on a global level, the Ukrainian European war. And then also uh, China and how China's militarily and how they're acting in the marketplace. And so, you know, those are way above my pay grade, but I do pay attention to it. And and I have a lot of respect for uh, Mr. Diamond and his views. So I think that's what we'll see more locally here across the state of North Carolina. We're continuing to see just uh, massive growth into our metropolitan regions, the Charlotte, Raleigh, Greensboro, Winston-Salem, Asheville, Wilmington, Greenville areas, Fayetteville, and not so much in Jones County, not so much in uh, Stokes County. So as a state, I think that it's sort of imperative our leadership look at, you know, what is going on. Patrick Woody over at the North Carolina Rural Center is doing a fantastic job on trying to find successful economic models for for rural North Carolina. And I think that's extremely important. Um, I, I really think that the state won't see very, we may see mild recession, but we're not going to feel it very much in particular in our economic hubs in uh, Raleigh, Charlotte, Greensboro, in the triad areas. And Usually when, when you have a recession, you have large-scale unemployment. Right now, everyone is still hiring right correct. and left. And so, uh, there, of course, there's certain jobs that uh, will open because of any kind of a uh, slowdown uh, nationally. But uh, for the most part, that, that factor is just not present in North Carolina. No, and and uh, we have a very strong labor market. And as we see new jobs, uh, Don, look at what's coming online. Just uh, uh, on Friday, you had news that the boom in Greensboro is breaking ground. They're getting their uh, 
factory in order out at the uh, Piedmont Triad Airport. You've got the Vietnamese car plant with uh, grounds broken. They're moving dirt. They're getting ready to put structures up. You've got Toyota building the battery factory right there in Randolph County. Just those three projects alone, 18, you know, 16 to 18,000 jobs. And um, these are going to be high-skilled technology jobs, computer-based with very high wages. And so that's, you know, just looking down the road at, at, at that on the job market, the strength that we have, the success that Governor Cooper has had in recruiting these, and and Mr. Uh, Chris Chung over at the North Carolina Economic Development Commission, and Gene McLaren, the, the chairman of the uh, commission, the success that they have had in bringing these. And then it, it I don't know if you saw it, but earlier in in the month, Mr. Chung announced that they have a hundred thousand jobs, prospective jobs in the economic pipeline for the state of North Carolina between now and 2024, over a hundred billion dollars in investment. So uh, that that future is very very bright. The the counterpoint to that is do we have enough energy generation and energy capacity from Duke Energy to be able to accommodate that type of growth? And that's going to be a huge issue too. So um, the one thing that I think is truly incredible too, Don, when it comes to inflation, is look at the escalating price of real estate in our metro markets in Raleigh, Charlotte, Greensboro. Wow, even I mean, it, Wilmington, the Outer Banks, Moorhead City, they've seen even higher escalation in real estate prices. So if we're seeing inflation, not only are we seeing it in durable goods, but we're seeing it in real property. Let's change the subject and talk about uh, there's, of course, a court case right now before the Supreme Court that could return all of the uh, powers of redistricting to the states. And if that happens... Uh, North Carolina's political situation will be quite different as far as uh, the possibility of redistricting. As we grow, we probably sooner or later are going to add another congressman, but that won't be for a couple uh, for some time. But at any rate, uh, we're going to see uh, an effort to redistrict one way or the other. Uh, do the Democrats have a chance? No, no, they do not. And it is a fait accompli. Uh, The Republicans control the state Supreme Court. I think you'll see congressional redistricting. I think you'll see legislative redistricting. And I think they'll get rid of the the, uh, rule of, of the fairness doctrine that the Democrats put in place that forced the legislature to come back and redraw the maps last year. The Republicans did it holding their nose and hoping that they would get control of the state Supreme Court and the election process. They did. To the spoils go the victors. And I think you'll see the Republicans, uh, I think you'll see the Republicans um, very successful in redrawing the congressional maps. Right now we have a 7-7 map. When the Republicans get through with it, it will probably be a 10-4 map or a 9-5 map. I would not want to be Wiley Nickel. Um, I would not want to be Don Davis, 
I don't know if they can redistrict Jeff Jackson down in Charlotte, but he may have a target on his back as well. So um, that will be that will be just a political reality that uh, both sides will have to deal with. And then in the legislature, um, I don't see them being able to monkey with the legislative maps wildly. They already have pretty much maximum performance in the state house with uh, 71 seats. And they've got maximum performance. I think it's 31 or 32 seats in the state Senate. They have supermajority status in the state Senate. So I don't see where you can go in and add additional seats to those lines. Um, so I don't see a lot of changes on the legislative side. I do see changes on the congressional side. Well, that's uh, it's going to be interesting. Too. When will the Supreme Court come out with the decision on that case? I think uh, it would not surprise me somewhere probably a late spring uh, type timeline, May, June timeline, and then they get the budget done. And then in the month, uh, they may take some time off in August and then come back in September and have a special session on, on redistricting. Well, it's going to be interesting to watch that. And, of course, uh, the the early season betting is, as you said, that the uh, uh, – the uh, power will be returned to the state. And you're going, right. You're going to hear hollering and screaming coming from the Democrats. But the fact is, you know, the Republicans won their seats. They've won the majority and, and they have that right to govern. And it's not like that. The Democrats didn't use that in the sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, and early two thousands as a means to hold on to power too. So, um, it just it should be compelling for the Democrats to get out and uh, to work and and build a statewide coalition of voters that will enable them to win and build a, a majority, and then they can address it as they move forward. We continue to talk about the Democrats and Republicans, and of course the registration continues to grow stronger and stronger for registered unaffiliates. Now, of course, every person who registers as an unaffiliate has political views. And from what I'm reading, pretty much um, that follows the line of the registration. In other words, the percentage of uh, unaffiliated that uh, line up with the Democrats and percentage that line up with the Republicans is pretty much equal to the registration. Uh, do you see this trend continuing? And, uh, is there is there really a long term future for political parties? Uh, I, I agree with you about unaffiliated. They they are uh, they are unaffiliated, but they do have political views, and it's probably a third, a third, a third of you know they lean Democrat or lean Republican, or they're truly in the middle and vote either side at any given election. Uh, I've said it once and I'll say it again. The biggest uh, upheaval that we'll see in politics is the day when unaffiliated voters are given equal access to the ballot. Right now, a Democrat or Republican can go down to the Board of Elections, take their ethics forms or financial disclosure forms and fill out the, the application to run for state house or state Senate, pay their thousand dollar filing fee, and they're on the ballot. They may have a primary, they may not. Unaffiliated don't do that. They have to have 4% of the registered voters in their district to get on the ballot. And that's a hurdle 
very high and too often they're not able to reach that hurdle. So if you wanted to have parity in our politics down here in the state of North Carolina, you would allow unaffiliated equal access to the ballots. And that would be a severe challenge to the parties and basically probably would threaten the future of the parties. So it's going to be an issue that's that's intriguing, but it's going to be extremely important too as we move forward. So uh, unaffiliates are going to play an important role in our state's politics as we move forward. Great. Thank you. Uh, again, as always, you're very candid and we appreciate your views. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can do so by going to carolinanewsmakers.com, carolinanewsmakers.com. And uh, if you happen to be listening to a station that carries only the half-hour version, the two segments that you missed are there, too. The program has been produced by Jason Coggin, and he'll have another guest for us next week on the same group of stations. Till next week, have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.